um, you have to uh, kind of massage those a little bit more. Obviously, if you have a more experienced passive investor, they understand it, they get it. But if you have a uh, a newer passive investor or a very numbers-oriented passive investor, they're going to have a lot more different questions. So you kind of have to understand how to talk about the deal uh, with every type of investor. Welcome to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, bringing you information directly from industry leaders in multifamily and commercial real estate. Each week, Anthony Pinto interviews top multifamily experts and digs into the hard lessons learned on their pathways to success. We get real to give you a more comprehensive picture and help you avoid pitfalls others won't tell you about. You'll learn about raising money, growing your portfolio, and attracting investors to your cause. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. Are you in the military, interested, but don't know how to get started in real estate investing? I get it. I was in the exact same boat. But I have good news for you. We have content made just for you. You head over to our website at pintocapitalinvestments.com. You can hear about how I made the decision to start buying investment properties literally hundreds of feet underwater on a submarine. That's PintoCapitalInvestments.com. What you here for the show, so let's get into it. Hey, learners, and welcome to another edition of the Lessons in Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto, and today we are joined by a good friend, a world traveler, and an overall awesome guy, Adam Labar. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, uh, especially saying that I'm an overall awesome guy. That's mighty nice of you. <laughs> I'll pay you later. Ah, absolutely. And uh, so a little bit about Adam. He is an Air Force veteran and he bought his first apartment building from Japan, a 62 unit, and has since then uh, got into 132 unit syndication while also living overseas and is now uh, owns over 340 doors and is climbing. So Adam, tell us a little bit about your background and how you, you know, got into syndications in the first place. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So um, I got into real estate because of my wife. Um, she told me, hey, you should look at this real estate stuff. And I said, oh, that's sweet, honey. I'm going to go buy some stocks. And then I lost <laughs> money in the stock market and said, what was that, dear, you said about real estate? So, um, you know, she uh, very respectfully and nicely brought me back uh, on track. And then I, I'm a researcher by nature. So I just kind of research, research, research. And then about two years of education and research realized that apartments is by far the way to go. Um, and told my wife, uh, I mean, I got into a mentorship program. I went to a couple of different, uh, um, education conferences type things. And then I was like, yep, totally going to do this. And I partnered up with a couple guys and bought an apartment. I told my wife, I said, Hey, guess what? Guess what? I think we're going to buy a 62 unit apartment. And that's kind of how that, uh, that all fired up. Okay. So did you, I'm kind of learning that it, it is kind of difficult um, being in Japan to talk to a lot of brokers and investors and really kind of analyze and find deals while being over here. So can you kind of talk us through, you know, kind of from step A to Z of the 62 unit and, and some kind of unique challenges you had investing in Japan? Absolutely. Yeah. So the 62 units, uh, it was definitely unique and a lot of challenges involved, right? Because uh, it's one thing to be overseas um, and do pretty much anything for the States. And that's another thing to be overseas and, um, try to buy an apartment building. Uh, so what it took for me was a lot of, um, working with different, uh, different groups, different investors, understanding where things are going. 
um, in the markets and really connecting with a lot of really good partners. And that is, uh, was the key for me was connecting with partners. So I got into, I, I mentioned it before I got into a mentorship group and uh, I'm sure you can hear my, my kiddos in the background here having a great time, which by far are the reason that I do this real estate stuff is because of them. So, um, but, uh, aww. but, uh, <laughs> so the, uh, um, Sorry about that, but this is part of the real estate world is uh, living life for my kiddos. And that's the whole purpose in life of, uh, of why I do this real estate stuff is for them. So, um, uh, but you know, it was a huge partnership, um, the huge partnership thing that, uh, getting involved with that, that company getting involved. So it was Jake and Gino with the wheelbarrow profit. So I got involved with them and man, it opened my eyes to a whole world of, um, bunch of people that really had the same motivation, the same mindset. So I was stuck with a bunch of military folks and uh, um, yeah, nobody had the same thought processes. Nobody had that same uh, drive. Nobody had that same understanding of where we wanted to go, what my goals were. But I got into this group and it was like, yeah, this is, this makes total, total sense. I need to be involved with folks like this all the time. And that's what I did. I said, all right, um, let me learn from you guys. Let me partner with you folks. Somebody called me up and said, hey, we want you on a deal. Um, and, uh, you know, I've seen you posting, I've seen you do this, you're interacting and sure enough, I, I, I jumped in and said, all right, let's do it. So I flew back to the States, um, walked the property, tried to get a good understanding of what I was looking at, uh, worked with a lot of partners and, uh, really had to trust the team that we built and then bought a deal and said, let's, let's make it happen. Um, and, uh, it was a very hairy deal for a first deal and something I would not recommend to folks to get uh, that hairy of a deal. Um, I mean, we ended up having to completely empty the property out, um, uh, which was not in the business plan. We, we had three buildings. We were supposed to do one building at a time, um, emptying that out. And uh, it never, never happened that way. We ended up closing all three buildings and shutting it down. So it was uh, really hard, really difficult. So, so tell us a little bit about that, that property yourself, you know, where, where was it located? Uh, yeah, it's in East Tennessee and, um, it's, uh, uh, Johnson city, Tennessee. So it's a really, really, uh, nice area in the Blue Ridge, um, uh, mountains that, uh, um, we really enjoy. I mean, I, I love the area. It's got strong markets. Um, the tri cities out there, there's a nice hospital, there's good, uh, um, good schools. There's, uh, I mean, it's a little bit north of Asheville, which is really expensive. Asheville, North Carolina is a little bit pricier of a market, but um, it's a little bit north of there. So it's got, I mean, there's a lot of different destinations people can go. It's a little bit north of Knoxville as well. So um, uh, beautiful setting, beautiful sceneries out there. So the, the market was great. The property had a lot of potential um, and it just, you know, it worked out well. I was excited about it. So, so what ended up happening that um, you had to empty out the buildings that you weren't prepared oh boy. for? Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and this is something that happens at a lot of different properties, right? When you buy the property, um, it's, people are going to want to move out, right? The, the occupancy is going to kind of go down because they're going to see that, especially if you're the kind of property owner, which we all should be, that you're trying to improve the property and make it a better place for people to live, um, which is probably going to come with some, some rent bumps. Uh, some people aren't going to like that and they're going to want to move out. Well, this particular case, there was a lot of, uh, so, it's one of those things where it's good to buy the um, C minus property in the B minus area, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and there's some C minus clientele, maybe D plus clientele that were in this, um, and it's in a B minus area. So 
uh, it's great because we just fix it up a little bit, but it was bad because once we started going through it, we didn't properly account for the fact that all of these D plus, uh, um, D plus bordering C minus type of folks were just going to not pay their bills at all. So they just decided, no, like I see the writing on the wall. I'm not going to pay. So we ended up having to evict everybody. We just went through and just said, all right, well, instead of just shutting down one building at a time and we now have lost all these people. So now we've got squatters and they're trying to steal things and they're letting the waters leak and they're doing all this stuff. We said, all right, just empty it out completely. Um, we'll start from scratch and be able to maybe get this thing done faster uh, than we would if we did one building at a time. So it wasn't optimal, but you know, it was kind of what we had to do in that situation. Okay. So going back again, <clears throat> if you going back again to like say the due diligence period, how would you have gone about, you know, finding out that these tenants, you know, were of that income socioeconomic status, I guess. So, um, it, we had a, we, we kind of knew what status they were in. I think it was just part of it was us being new, right? Uh, that we didn't quite understand what that was going to entail. And um, we also, uh, I don't think we relied enough on our property management team to really kind of get a, a good understanding of it. Almost everybody was on a month to month, which is not usually a great sign either, right? Um, uh, if they're on a month to month and they're not, you know, the property management team is probably not taking care of it as well. They're probably, you know, because we want to put somebody in there for a year. That's stabilization, right? So if we're on month to month and people are just jumping ship whenever they want to, and we can't have predictability in there. That's harder for us to kind of account for and manage. So um, there should there were some signs that should have been uh, seen that we just, out of inexperience, had no idea to, to look for them. Um, and now we definitely have a much better idea. So we probably would have, uh, done a little bit stricter, um, reviews of the, uh, uh, all the leases and all that type of stuff just to kind of go, all right, well, who are these people and what are they, uh, involved in, you know? So, um, I'm not sure we could have seen fully evicting everybody. I don't think we could have seen that kind of writing on the wall. It, mm -hmm. it felt almost like, um, uh, they were like picketing in the parking lot, like, no, don't raise our rent type of thing. But uh, they obviously weren't doing that. But it just kind of what it felt like, like, oh, well, apparently they all got together and said, we're just not going to do this. Um, and that's, you know, that's something we could not have foreseen, but uh, we mm -hmm. could have probably budgeted for a little better. Okay. So how long did it take you to fully stabilize the property again after all those evictions? Um, so we've had this a couple years and it's still not fully stabilized. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's... Uh, uh, we've had a lot of challenges with it um, and about halfway through, we had our contractor just completely walk out on us, um, completely breached the contract um, and uh, um, just left it. And then once we had the city come walk through, the city was like, yeah, they did a bunch of stuff, not the codes. So now we had to redo everything. So not only um, did they walk out, but they didn't do the stuff properly, which then meant we had to get a brand new contractor to come in and fix all the old stuff. So they had to go pull new permits on stuff that was already completed and go redo everything. So it set us back a long ways. Um, and, you know, I've got other properties that are cash flowing uh, and still working on my very first property, which, like I said, it's a it's still going to be a good deal. We've still done all the paperwork. I mean, the, um, the IR on it is not going to be as good, uh, but at the same point, it's a JV. So we're less a little bit less concerned about it because we're not trying to sell an IR to a uh, investor. Uh, but we know that this is a good cash flow play and where we're trying to go with it. So, and that's and it, you know that's an interesting point you bring up of it being a JV versus a syndication. Um, you know, I, I think that <clears throat> when you have other people's money at play, you tend to make different decisions versus if it's a mm -hmm. joint venture. You know, and and 
doing both the joint venture and a syndication, you know, how have you kind of approached investor relations um, in, in regards to your two properties? Now, obviously your properties are, are different properties and, and your problems are different problems, but generally in terms of investor relations, how have you kind of approached that subject in, in these two different scenarios? Okay. So um, I'll tell you, I actually have four different scenarios because all four of my apartment, all four of my deals are four completely different setups. So okay. I've got the 62 unit. It's a complete JV, um, which means we're all just chatting about it, discussing where we want to go, having to get like, I'll make a decision to as a team going through all of this stuff. Um, uh, we had a really uh, difficult time with a partner in there as well. So there's some more difficulty with that deal. And then we had um, an 80 unit property that we did a syndication on that uh, was our first syndication. And then we have a uh, 71 pad mobile home park that we partnered with a, um, uh, a high net worth individual. They wrote the check for everything. They are our bank, our partner, everything. Um, and, um, and I've also, I'm a passive on a deal. So um, I've kind of got the, the breadth of understanding of how all of these kind of work. Right. Um, and I will say I, I love the JV side of the house because there's just a lot less uh, paperwork. There's a lot less to deal with. There's, you know, we're not dealing with um, a lot of multitudes of different personalities with, like you are with uh, dealing with investors. Um, but you're putting a whole lot of your own money into it, right? Which is, it's a little bit more difficult to, uh, uh, to do because eventually you run out of capital, right? Um, and then on these, so with investor relations, it, it's a sensitive game, right? Because, um, you know, especially if you look right now, right, um, we're going through this COVID-19 uh, debacle, right? So I even got a call from uh, the deal that I'm a passive on. And they said, hey, we're going to suspend uh, dividends, right? We're not going to be paying out for now because we don't know where these properties are going to go. So those are things that as a JV, we could just discuss and be like, we're done with. Well, now, like with investor relations, there's a lot more uh, conversation that has to go with that because now they're going to be asking a lot of questions about where's the deal going? Why, you know, why are you guys choosing to do it this way? And there's just, um, you have to, uh, kind of massage those a little bit more. Obviously if you have a more experienced passive investor, they understand that they get it. Um, but if you have a, uh, a newer passive investor or a very, um, numbers oriented passive investor, they're going to have a lot more different questions. So you kind of have to understand how to talk about the deal, uh, with every type of investor. So investor relations becomes now, not only am I giving monthly updates and, you know, quarterly numbers, but I'm, you know, now having to make phone calls to say, Hey, this is kind of what we're thinking about with the property. Um, and, and, you know, withholding dividends and withholding your, your paychecks and whatnot. So, um, it is a, it's a different beast dealing with a syndication and, uh, but it's a lot of fun because you get to practice that, uh, all the year, uh, communication skills, you get to work on, you know, your a little bit more of your salesmanship side of the house. And, um, you know, it, it, you get to kind of be a little bit more well-rounded of an investor as opposed to just partnering up with somebody, which, um, uh, you know, is, is, if you ask me, I think JVs are by far the best way to go, but eventually you run out of money and, uh, you know, maybe you pull off a syndication so that you can get some extra money to go do a JV. And then, you know, you kind of have them both playing, playing both sides of it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a good point. And um, so from that viewpoint, you, I mean, you obviously had a lot of different fingers and a lot of different pies. And it seems like almost four different, completely different pies. So, mm -hmm. you know, how how do you see your what type of roles do you fill on the um, on the properties that you are active on? And do those kind of change periodically? Do you kind of fill multiple hats? How do you see yourself filling in those? Um, so, uh, there again, it kind of depends, right? Because there's, um, there's different partnerships on some of the different deals as well. Right. So I'm not, uh, um, 
I have a couple different partnership teams that I really want to stick with and I like, right? And um, so depending on which, which partnership it is, no matter what, I'm, I very much love looking at numbers. I'm one of the few folks who enjoy looking at the spreadsheets for running the numbers on these properties and trying to figure that out. So um, as the property is progressing, I'm trying to figure out, all right, where, where is this property at now? What, where was it? Like what, um, what kind of arc are we on here? Like where, like, are we going in the right direction? So I'm constantly doing that type of stuff and looking at expenses. Where are we, uh, where can we cut expenses better? Where are we, you know, um, are, are, are we able to bump these rents up? So I'm constantly doing those types of communications with the property management team. And I also do a lot of the emails for the investor relations side of the house um, to kind of give updates on, on the, uh, on the properties of where they're at, what we're doing. So um, it does kind of sort of depend on the, the deal itself, but um, uh, my schedule is kind of crazy from time to time. So it's hard for me to get out to the deals a lot of times. Like I will, uh, I refuse to buy a property unless somebody on my team has been to the deal, which I think everybody should uh, refuse to buy a property if they haven't have somebody have eyes on it for them. Um, a very, very trusted somebody. Um, but uh, you know, a majority of them, I will fly out. I'll go figure out what it is. I'll go see what, what we're looking at um, because I want to know that when I'm writing a number on the piece of paper, it's not just a number. I have a property to be able to associate it to. Um, mm-hmm. So really I kind of, I don't do all of it, but I, I work with the property manager a lot because I'm working with the numbers and I work with the investors a lot. So I'm getting updates on the property and figure out where it's at. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit because I I know the answer to this, but I kind of want you to explain it. So for someone who is new getting into real estate investing, whether that's multifamily, single family, whatever, um, and they don't really know how to get started or, you know, they don't have the communication skills to be in investor relations or they don't necessarily have the analytical skills, you know, to underwrite or, you know, fill in the blank on what they are kind of, you know, their limiting belief is there. You know, how, what is your advice for someone getting started to kind of get to where you are now? Because, you know, starting off in a 62 unit apartment building is, is kind of daunting to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you obviously did a lot of steps to get to that point. But I want to know, I kind of want to see what your advice is to someone who, you know, may be overseas, you know, or maybe deployed or may only have, you know, two hours a week to spend on real estate. So what is your advice for those people? Um, So if you notice at the very beginning, I said that it took me about two years of education and understanding where it's at, right? So um, you may not be good at analysis right now. You may not be good at investor relations right now. But that doesn't mean that after getting some good education, getting into a uh, mentorship group of sorts, um, going to a conference or two, right? So, I mean, if you're deployed, you're probably not going to a conference, right? There's some online ones you might be able to pull off. Um, but you are uh, in a great position to go and start building your education, building your knowledge of what an apartment building is, um, where you're wanting to go with it, like trying to understand what the niche is and say, all right, where does my mentality plug in best? And then get into groups of like-minded people to chat about it. Not like-minded meaning all, all analytical folks, but like-minded meaning we have a goal. Uh, we all have a like-minded goal to go buy apartment buildings to be, become financially free um, and do whatever it is that fill in the blank that you want to do, right? So um, I very much would say start with education, figure out where you're at, plug in with a good um, quality network community uh, that, you, uh, um, that you fit in well with, that understands you and you understand them. Um, and, and I mean, that's, that's kind of the route I took. I educated myself. I found a good community to plug in with. And then what do you know? I found, I found a deal, right? So, um, uh, you know, 
Gino uh, from the Jake and Gino side, he's, he's always here. There's like, even I said it, right? It just kind of fell in our lap, this whole thing. And he's like, nobody, it doesn't fall in anybody's lap, right? You have done all of these things to get to a point to where you are that the deal quote unquote fell in your lap. No, like you, you played all of these things out and that is why you were able to find a deal. So go and start to do something. If you're sitting there just going, well, I'll never be able to do this because I can't do blah, blah, blah. Well, if that's your whole mentality, if that's all you're going to think about, then you will never go and do it, right? You have to go and do something, right? So getting educated, reading a book. I mean, everybody and their brother wants to talk about Rich Dad, Poor Dad because it's an amazing book, right? And to get that mindset going. So mm-hmm. reading those books, Think and Grow Rich, those types of things that are really helping you understand and get your mindset going and then getting in with other like-minded folks and uh, whether it's apartments or hotels or single family houses or whatever it is, a niche that you really feel comfortable with and like that makes sense to you. Um, getting together with like-minded folks, you are the five people you hang out with most. Right. And if, uh, if you're not improving those five people, then you're not going to improve yourself either. So, um, that's definitely the route I would take. Okay. That's a good point. And did take. Yeah. So, so to sum that up, basically learn, get education, you know, do as much as you can to build your knowledge and then join some sort of mastermind network, you know, whatever that happens to be for you. So I think it's really, really good advice for, for someone getting started. So I kind of want to shift gears here a little bit before we get into the snapshot round. So you mentioned that you got into mobile home parks and, and you, own, you said a 71 unit? Yeah. Or a pet, yeah. I guess pad. 71 pad. Yeah. yeah. Home. <clears throat> so how do you see that comparing to multifamily and do you prefer one asset class over another? Um, so compared to multifamily, they're actually, I mean, they're pretty similar, right? The mindset, uh, the thought process when you're analyzing them are pretty similar. You just, uh, um, there's a different between whether they're park-owned homes or whether they're tenant-owned homes and you have to kind of do some analysis changing in there. Um, but you, you hear a lot about uh, new apartment buildings being built all over the place, all these nice class A properties. Nobody's building a class B property. That's unlikely you're going to find those. But um, you won't really hear of anybody building a mobile home park uh, because they're not really um, the most popular thing to be built, right? They're, they, we have what we have and that's what they are, right? So... Um, you're not really going to be running out of like nobody's going to be moving out of this mobile home park to go move to the class a mobile home park down the road. Like there, um, and really we prefer to call them mobile home communities, right? Cause we want to buy communities when everybody thinks of a mobile home park, they think of, um, you know, a trailer park, right? And that's not really what we're going for. We want a mobile home community where there's, um, you know, you have the nice flowers out front and people are mowing their lawns and there's, you know, there's, um, community get togethers and that type of thing that's, um, builds that camaraderie inside of the community. Um, so it's, it, you get a little bit better of a return usually on a mobile home community than you do on, on apartments. Um, but there's, there's definitely some different complications, you know, how many pads there are that are vacant, you know, bringing in new houses for those, um, having somebody, you know, it's unlikely that anybody wants to leave because they usually don't want to pay to get their trailer, um, their, uh, uh, trailer moved. Like it's, kind of an expensive deal um, usually for the folks that are living in there. So they're really long term tenants and they're hanging out. And if they're tenant owned homes, you have no maintenance involved with it. They, they fix their leaks. They fix their, you know, they take care of all of their bills. they like all the stuff. You're just renting out the pad and you own the land. Um, and that is a very, uh, you know, you, you have to mow the common areas, right? And that's about it. Keep the lights on, on the telephone poles. But uh, um, you know, it, it makes life a lot less stressful. Um, and the fact that they're not building anymore, you know that, you know, you find this one and it's yours, you get to keep it for a long time. And if you want to go find another one, you do that. And there's a little bit less competition than apartments because everybody and their brother wants an apartment right now. 
Um, and I still want to buy apartments and I still want to buy mobile home communities. So um, I love them both because they, it uh, kind of helps round each other out a little bit. Um, you know, cause the, the mobile home communities are probably not going to get tanked in a, uh, a bad, in, in a bad market. Right. Um, they might a little bit, right. But they're already, um, you know, you know, that class of tenant is going to stay that class of tenant more than likely. And they're going to hang out right there in your mobile home community. Um, where an apartment, you kind of have, have a little bit more fluctuation. Um, so, you know, there's, it, it's kind of hedging my bets on both sides of it really. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you're, you're, <clears throat> as you're explaining this, that mobile home parks kind of take away all the bad things of, of having to deal with tenants uh, when it comes to <laughs> apartment buildings, utilities and maintenance issues and, you know, late rent. And I guess you still kind of have the late rent part of that. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's a really good explanation for someone who you know, may kind of be on the edge on if they want to get into multifamily, mobile home communities, or both. So I think that's, <clears throat> it sounds like a really good experience to get into, right? Because it kind of gives you a taste of, of both sides of, of, of the, I guess, the residential multifamily slash mobile home community type um, mindset when it comes to those properties too. And, and I'm sure it kind of spreads out your, your, your diversification a little bit as well. You know, what affects a, mo a multifamily property may not affect a mobile home community and vice versa, or the, or the socioeconomic dynamics might be a little bit different for, you know, if, if a type of industry, you know, bottoms up for some reason or another. So that's uh, that's, I mean, that's a good point for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I really enjoy them. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people want to buy them and then, you know, pave over them like some of the bigger companies, but I really like to be able to have them as uh, as great. You know, like you said, I don't have to worry about tenants, toilets, all of that stuff that an apartment usually you have to worry about. So it's, uh, uh, and that's the benefit of park or uh, tenant owned homes for sure. So absolutely. Awesome. Well, Adam, um, are you ready to get into the snapshot round? Oh, well, if I have to, let's snap away. Awesome. All right, here we go. Number one question. Adam, what is your number one failure? Um, uh, so apartment related, I would say um, my number one failure by far was uh, not doing a proper amount of due diligence on my first deal. Um, but the, it's hard to call it a failure because I have learned so much that is going to help me beyond belief on all of my other deals. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was, uh, you know, you obviously heard my kids earlier and that's, uh, you know, I always tell my son, um, I want you to fail and fail often, right? As long as you fail forward. Uh, and it's only a failure if you didn't learn something. So um, uh, I think that that would be by far my number one failure in real estate, but I'm learning from it. So it's not a failure. So. Okay. Yeah, it's a, that's a really good point. And I, and I think that's, that's key to understand their learners is that he's, he's not calling it necessarily a failure and walking away and, and gave up on it. He took it as a lesson learned and moved on. Right. So I, I think in life you either succeed or you learn, right. <clears throat> that's where all failures are. So I love it. All right. Next question. What is the number one thing that has contributed to your success? Um, I would say uh, team right? Like but building teams around me that have uh, helped to keep me on track, helped to keep me on board. Um, especially, you know, you, you look at um, a lot of military folks, especially, right? So uh, they get around, military folks train around a specific group that they're involved in, right? Like um, everybody knows about Navy SEALs. So we'll just mention Navy SEALs, right? So Navy SEALs train with other Navy SEALs. Obviously they go outside of that as well, but they're training with their team because that team is what gets you through um, 
through the objective, right? And it's the same thing in apartment building. We have to have a good team around us that are going to get us through the objective. Um, so building that team around you and staying tight with that team, keeping that open communication is uh, definitely, I would say, the biggest one of the biggest things that's contributed to my success. Okay. Got it. Next question. What is the, uh, what is one nugget of investing knowledge you want to give us? Boy, narrowing it down to one, one nugget is, is very difficult. Um, but I would say, uh, mindset. Um, I'm a huge, uh, proponent of mindset and getting your mindset right. So, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier, like if you're that person that's just going, yeah, I can't do that because I can't blah, blah, blah. Well, you have the wrong mindset, right? You have the wrong thought processes. The same reason that I said that, that, you know, uh, the fa- like I kind of cheated and said my my one failure wasn't a failure, right? Well, it wasn't a failure because I didn't let it become a failure, right? And because we have the right mindset for it, I have to focus on where I need need to focus my energy, put my time and focus. Um, I said focus like four times there. Because focus is part of that, right? Like you need to have the right mindset. Um, so you know, fixing your mindset, helping you understand how to strive through um, difficult times because you're going to have them. You are going to trip and fall and uh, and fall hard, uh, but be ready for it and have the right mindset and you're going to learn from it. Love it. All right. And then last question, Adam, what is your dream? Uh, so my, my dream is to have, um, I am obsessed with being a dad. Um, I love it with everything that I am. I've wanted to be a dad since literally I was like 13 or 14 years old, right? I've always just wanted to be a dad. And now that I am, I uh, want to spend as much time with them as humanly possible and raise my boys to be way better men than me. Um, and I think the best way for me to do that is to have the time freedom to be able to dedicate whatever I need for them. So my dream is to be able to um, have all the free time I need with my boys um, and with my wife to be able to uh, um, raise them to be proper men and um, focus their energy and uh, attention in the right spots uh, to, again, be better men than I am. Uh, so that is by far my dream and apartments are, uh, you know, multifamily investing is by far the, the best tool that I found that's going to get me there. Um, be able to get me the proper income that I need and the time freedom that I need to be able to spend that time with my family and do whatever, whenever I would like to. Um, yes, there's going to be work involved uh, because I, I love doing this apartment stuff. So, um, I'll be doing that forever. Um, but that's also what builds that freedom with my family. Absolutely. I love it. It sounds like you're already setting a pretty good example for, you know, kind of a pattern for success and building blocks for success to get into multifamily. So that's, that's great. I'm glad that you're kind of showing, uh, you know, by example and leading by example to, you know, um, provide for your family and, and help raise your kids to, to be as awesome as you are, Adam. So <laughs> that sounds well, thank awesome. You. That's definitely my goal. Like one of the things I definitely, I, I really want to do is, um, start bringing my, uh, especially my oldest boy, bring him out to the apartments as we're doing walkthroughs and doing all that type of stuff, kind of show, show him what daddy does and, you know, do that type of stuff. Like bring the whole family out, especially if we go somewhere nice, spend one day with me on the, on the property when then they can go out and do something, but just kind of show them, Hey, this is why daddy does what he does. This is why daddy flies different places. This is, you know, this is why daddy's in the office all the time. Um, and, uh, kind of show that example for them. And if they decide to follow in my footsteps and buy apartment buildings and who am I to say no? Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea showing your kids how, how you do it and how you make your money and, and kind of thinking in that long-term kind of generational wealth building thought process and mindset. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, that's an amazing, amazing idea. So, well, Adam, I definitely appreciate having you on. I know we've been kind of setting this up for a while. Um, so I appreciate we were able to get this done and I thank you for coming on. So if people want to learn more about you, where can they go? 
Um, so I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, all of that. Um, you're more than welcome to shoot me an email, um, Adam at ActiveDutyPassiveIncome.com. Uh, you can find me over there at ADPI at Active Duty Passive Income. I'm, uh, um, I help teach multifamily investing over there. So uh, any questions you have, come on over and chat with me. Um, email me, send me Facebook messages, LinkedIn, everything. So that's where I'm at. Awesome. Well, Adam, I, I appreciate having you on. I hope you stay safe and healthy back in the States during this time. And uh, yeah, take care of your family for sure. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on, man. Awesome. Have a good one. Later. One more thing before you go. I want to be real for a second. If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It goes a long way to promoting the show and continuing to bring you great content from stellar guests. I read every rating and it helps me develop the best practices and give you the best possible version of me and the show. If you have any comments, recommend topics or guests, you can reach out to me at anthony at pintocapitalinvestments.com.